Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Oh, it feels good to be back. Season 3 of Enterprising Individuals has now begun, and what a year it's going to be. We've got an all-new batch of episodes starring an amazing array of guests, and I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Plus, we've got a Discovery debrief to do, and I've got a little more to say about the third season of the original series, which Gordon Purcell and I discussed on the last episode. There's so much to do, we should get right to it, so let's get underway. Star Trek Discovery has concluded its first season, and it would be hard to see it as anything other than a rousing success. Financially, without question. Critically, mostly, and creatively, well, okay, let's set a few things straight. First, from a financial perspective, Star Trek Discovery is the best thing to happen to a streaming service since Stranger Things. CBS All Access has more than doubled its subscriber base since the show began airing last year, and CBS president Les Moonves great space name, by the way, revealed recently that CBS has reported record fourth quarter earnings, due in no small part to the new Star Trek show. The success of Discovery has emboldened CBS to revive other classic properties like The Twilight Zone and Magnum P.I. And get this, Jay Hernandez was recently cast as Thomas Magnum in the reboot of Magnum P.I. And I'm like, what? I mean... I, I like him. I like Jay Hernandez, but Selleck is right down the hall doing Blue Bloods. I mean, this is just going to assume that the original series never happened? Like MacGyver? You know, we lost John Hillerman, sadly, just a few months ago. So Higgins is out for this round, and Zeus and Apollo are like 140 dog years into the ground at this point. But see what you think about this. <clears throat> Here's my pitch. Robin Masters has died, and he's left everything to his illegitimate son, Jay Hernandez's character, who is just returning to Hawaii from Afghanistan, and he's moving into the Robin's nest, he's wondering what he's going to do with himself, when, wait a minute, who's this old weirdo that lives in the boathouse, and he's having his buddies TC and Rick over for poker every night, and he's got that magnificent mustache. It's Magnum, old Magnum, and he needs Jay Hernandez to get them some more beer and also to run down this lead for him and voila, you've got an old guy, young guy procedural. It's like a Rockford meets a Hardcastle meets Jake and the Fat Man meets Batman Beyond meets Andy Barker P.I. Les, baby, call me. While I'm waiting for Les to call, we can talk about the critical situation vis-a-vis Discovery. Discovery landed at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes and has a score of 72 on Metacritic, so thumbs are literally up here. However, the user scores on both platforms tell a different story. The show rings in at 56% on Rotten Tomatoes for the user score, that's the audience, and 4.7 on Metacritic, which is a different story altogether. Uh, Fun fact from an alternate universe and an alternate galaxy far away, The Last Jedi is sitting at 91% and at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, respectively. Uh, But the audience scores are at a 48% and a 4.5, which is also a little strange. So, what does this mean? I mean, there's almost certainly a point to be made about an established fan base uh, bridling at new entries in a series 
or some updates to a canon that they feel possessive of. And that's definitely a subject that I plan to attack in a future show. But what explains the gap in score between critics and audiences in this instance? Uh, you know, it can go the other way, too. Uh, Netflix's Crap Fest Bright is currently at 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, but has an audience score of 85%. But all that proves is that people like free things, and they don't remember Alien Nation, I guess. It is, methinks, interesting to note that many of Star Trek Discovery's negative user reviews, uh, especially on Metacritic, come from fans who make it clear in their review that they haven't even watched the show. Sorry, I got stuck in implied scare quote mode there. So you can throw at least half of those out for trollishness. And it makes finding out the general level of satisfaction with Discovery difficult, to say the least. Uh, going back to the idea of people seeing things through their rose-colored nostalgia glasses, I think it's interesting to note that The Last Jedi itself was panned by many fans for making a point of attempting to break away from Star Wars storytelling tradition. While on the other hand, Discovery has... Uh, in my opinion, and ignoring a hologram or two, uh, it's done everything in its power to give audiences a heap and helping of canonical nostalgia and a 56% audience score. So who knows, but we will absolutely revisit this in a future supplemental episode. I can, however, easily, readily give you my personal take on Discovery. I liked it. In other news, Jason, no, no I, uh, no, really, I, I did really like it. Uh, if you want my full, lengthy thoughts on Discovery, as well as those of Ella Pearson of the Generations Geek podcast and a panoply of guests, you can, of course, listen to all 15 episodes of our Star Trek Discovery recap show, Discoverage, which is available on our show feed and probably at enterprisingindividuals.com. I will check on that. But yes, um, it's good. And if I had to criticize it, I think I might say that it is too often concerned with pleasing the fans, and it might be a little too slavish to the goal of being Trek. The quotes are back. And I say this about a show that follows a character that assaults her captain and starts an interstellar war. I'm glad Trek is back on TV, and if you're going to do Trek, you're going to want a room full of writers who know it inside and out. But it feels like, to me, that the show doesn't have much of an individual voice. After Trek exploded in the early 90s, uh, we got a, a trek that stayed put, uh, a trek that went way out there, and a trek that was, I don't know, a, a post-9-11 allegory with the guy from Quantum Leap. I mean, you see what I mean? If we're bringing trek back, what is it that we want it to accomplish? I mean, just beyond including Robert April Easter eggs and making Leaden make the Empire great again illusions. And making CBS more attractive to Viacom, of course. The entire first season of Discovery basically boils down to are we good guys? And the answer is yes. Yes, of course we're good guys. No one was wondering whether or not we were good guys. It's like the producers of the show needed to remind everyone what Star Trek was when everyone knows what Star Trek is. Dogs know what Star Trek is. So why go over it one more time? Brian Fuller, who has now quit almost as many shows as he's developed, may have been a weird choice for Trek, but he would have gone on to go somewhere really weird with it, man. And I would have wanted to see that. Instead, we got Mr. A Beautiful Mind, Akiva Goldsman, Lesai. Here's an anecdote that makes Goldsman look like a hack and exemplifies my point about Discovery's harmful adherence to tradition. So as we discovered in the final episode, male Klingons have two, you know, which is something no one felt it was necessary to establish and everyone feels generally squicky about. 
According to Discovery writers Bo Yeon Kim and Erica Lippolt, that whole thing was Goldsman's idea. The fact came up in the writer's room that Klingons are known to have backups of their major organs, and the writers were speculating if that extended to their genitals. Well, guess who liked that idea? Apparently, Goldsman was tickled at the tale of the two Todgers, please kill me, and insisted that they put that detail into the grand finale he was directing. You see how canon can get you in trouble, kids? And speaking of canon, how about that sweaty, look, it's the Enterprise. We're receiving a message from Captain Pike. Um, be sure to renew your all-access subscription. All-access? Son of a... <laughs> That was Alex Kurtzman's idea, by the way, and he revealed on crappy, inferior recap show After Trek, shout out to Matt Myra, that they had written the first season back from that point, proving conclusively that there is nothing Kurtzman and Goldsman can't ruin if they put their hearts into it. Jeez, these guys, their Mirror Universe counterparts probably created The Wire. And speaking of Mirror Universe personalities, it's time to say au revoir to Captain Lorca, who has sadly departed real space and possibly corporeal existence when he plunged into the mycelial sphere at the heart of the ISS Charon in the Discovery episode What's Past is Prologue. How he fell downwards in space is a mystery, but he was a mysterious man, and his death should be no less. Speaking of falling in space... Anyone else notice that a huge plot point at the beginning of The Last Jedi centers around getting bombs to fall out of a ship in space? Fa like, like, where are they falling to? It's like the people that write these things aren't physicists and they went to film school or something. And with the departure of Captain Lorca, we must, for now, say goodbye to that celluloid centurion, that hot bowl of scouse, the man who knows... It's not the number of vessels, but the motion of the ocean. Jason Isaacs, in our final installment of Isaacs Antics. The segment where we chronicle the labors of that modern-day Heracles, Jason Isaacs. Lorca may be a heartless troll, but Jason is a compassionate troll, really. This guy's political Twitter game is fire all phasers. Seriously, this guy is on a watch list somewhere for all the times he's burned President Trump worse than Christopher Pike. But his Twitter feed isn't entirely salt for conservatives. He's often tweeting about his discovery experiences, and he and a majority of his co-stars took to Twitter on February 11th to live tweet the finale of Discovery using the hashtag DiscoParty. He was especially enthusiastic about the appearance of the Enterprise in the episode's closing moments, following up a tweet about Burnham's speech to Starfleet with, and this is the last time I'm going to do this. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. No, that's the way to end. Holy f***. Spoiler alert. Are you kidding me? The hashtag Enterprise? Hashtag Pike? I can't believe we have to wait until 2020 for the next episode. Live long and prosper, everyone, and thanks for watching us. It's been a privilege to serve, and lie, and kill. It's been a privilege to watch you, sir. Good night, sweet prince. Wait, did he say 2020? Does he know something we don't? I mean, we know that season two of Discovery starts filming this spring, and the show is expected to return in 2019. Is he referring to when he'll be called back to set? Illuminati Half-Life confirmed, Lorca to return.
in the second half of season two. And by the way, except for wild, unfounded, stupid speculation, I only know what I read with my eyes. I supposed to, I don't, I don't know, with my feet. So when I said on the last episode of Discoverage that the show would be back this fall, I was going by the fact that September 1st, 2018 was listed as the show's return date on Memory Alpha, okay? And I will read anything you put on that teleprompter. I mean, anything. I'm Ron Burgundy? Well, from a show that is finding itself to a show that found itself canceled, Let's talk Star Trek, the original series, season three. I mentioned in conversation with Gordon Purcell in the previous episode, the hated term turd season when talking about the third season of Star Trek. But of course, that's unfair. As we talk about during our episode on the Tholian web, there were multiple competing factors that helped to bring down Star Trek just when it was getting going. The show had been saved from cancellation in part by a letter-writing campaign organized by B. Joe and John Trimble, CR Season 2, 11.5 supplemental episode for my interview with the Trimbles. But by the time the third season began production, Roddenberry had all but removed himself from the day-to-day workings of the show, reportedly furious that the show missed out on a sweet Monday night time slot because NBC wanted to program Laugh-In at that time instead. Producer Fred Freyberger took over the position as showrunner and had to preside over a show that had lost a lot of its talent, with the departure of figures like Gene Kuhn and Dorothy Fontana and director Ralph Senensky. Freyberger, as the man in charge, has received most of the blame over the years, but in his defense, he, well, he did commit to hiring additional female writers for the show, though the show's third-season story consultant, Arthur Singer, reportedly asked the set director one day before a day's shooting... What does the transporter do again? So that was one of many bad signs. The show was relegated to the 10 p.m. Friday night death slot. Uh, Bad name for a slot. Death slot. Uh, Due to a conflict with Jerry Lewis. No, really, look it up. And it was only a matter of time before the writing was on the wall for the series. And Melvin Belly's face was melting off. And in a sad final grace note for the whole saga was that James Doohan remained convinced that they would get a fourth season because he couldn't believe that the network would cancel such a well-written well-made show, but maybe he never saw the dailies for Turnabout Intruder, so who knows? So it's not the best season of Star Trek, but it's Star Trek. What are we talking about here? It's like, is it like pizza, right? Like, yeah, even if it's bad, it's still pizza. Or um, in a reference that's probably not appropriate anymore, uh, like Woody Allen says in Manhattan, you know, uh, there's no bad sex. Uh, you know, Even my uh, worst orgasm was you know, right on the money. I mean, I saw a Reddit thread that was like, Uh, I've just finished the first two seasons of Star Trek, but I heard the third season isn't very good. Uh, Should I watch it? Yes! Idiot! I mean, friend. Of course! Every show has good and bad episodes, and you're going to miss out on a third of one of the greatest shows of all time because you didn't want to see space hippies? That doesn't reach, Herbert. So go in, but go in ready. I've made no secret of my love for Spock's brain, but it's not for everyone. Here's a list in no particular order of the best five episodes of the third season. Essential episodes that Trek couldn't have gone without. Number five, The Tholian Web, see our last episode. Plus, In a Mirror Darkly, the second half of Discovery, they all pretty much rely on this episode. Number four, The Enterprise Incident. You like Romulans? This shapes the Romulans more than Balance of Terror did. Number three, The Cloudminders another David Gerald script. He didn't just write triples, you know. Plus, Spock gets a girlfriend, and you've got a whole Morlocks and Eloi thing going on, or like a Fritz Lang's Metropolis on Ludes thing. It's cool. 
Number two, Plato's stepchildren. You want to really see the Federation's principles get a workout? This is the episode. Plus, Spock dances on Kirk's face. It's the first primetime interracial kiss. And there's psychic powers and Barbara Babcock. And number one, the day of the dove, in which we see Klingons start to get more Klingon-y, at least in the way we think of today. Kang, baby. And as I put that list together, it could have easily have been a list of 10, 15, probably not 20, uh, episodes that are great out of the third season. So yes, Vape Life 6969 on Reddit. Watch the third season already. Beautiful things have flaws. And if that's true, Star Trek's third season is the most beautiful of them all. If you want more information about the roller coaster ride that was Star Trek's third season, you should check out Mark Cushman's series, These Are the Voyages, particularly, of course, Volume 3. These books are like enterprising individuals in that they're full of interesting facts about each episode, but Mark's books have a ton more detail and are, of course, made of paper. I will include a link to Volume 3 in our show notes. You can check it out on Amazon. Our top comment this week on social media is from fan and frequent show guest Alan Gratz. Alan last appeared on the finale of our Discovered show, and it looks like he might be reappearing on Enterprising Individuals again soon. Alan tweeted to the show a link to an article about a researcher who, in an attempt to expose the laxity and standards of some scientific journals, published a fake research paper based on the Voyager episode Threshold, a.k.a. the one where they turn into lizards, and Brad and Braga, you have any more of that stuff you're smoking? I responded to Alan that we can't have the person who published the paper on the show since they chose to publish anonymously, but that he was welcome to come on to talk about Threshold himself, to which he replied, quote, I am so tempted to do a pod about Threshold with you. The only Voyager action figure I own, I have ever owned, is Tom Paris as a slug man. It came with the two slug things he and Janeway turned into, end quote. Ever owned? Please, come on, you're cheating yourself out of a galaxy of Voyager figures. You could get a, a Michael McKean clown figure or uh, or, or a Gath Laban of the uh, Sicarians. What an interesting figure. <laughs> or um, uh, Strung Out Kess? Uh, that could be a cool one. Uh, oh, Caretaker Dog with banjo grip and action. Um, Tuvix. You're telling me you don't want a Tuvix doll. Who are you kidding? So I got inspired from this, and I wanted for myself a mutated Tom Perez doll, complete with type 2 phaser and offspring dude. Slug things? Racist. And I'm currently securing one on eBay. So I don't know, uh, look out for that in the future, uh, possibly being a show giveaway. Stay tuned, and thanks for your comment, Alan. You win a Buster Kincaid doll in glorious black and white. They were, uh, they were sold out of the Captain Protons. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback or suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. I'd also like to direct your attention to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Now, I've reached the end of the first season of Deep Space Nine in the DS9 rewatch I've been doing for our patrons, and I'm recording additional shows now, so become a patron of the show today if you want access to those recaps, in addition to the other benefits you can receive for the rank that you join at, plus you can get a sneak peek at what's coming up for enterprising individuals. 
We work hard to bring you an entertaining and informative show every week. And if this was the 24th century, where money didn't exist, we'd do it merely for the sense of satisfaction. But this is the 21st century, and everything costs something. So if you enjoy the show and you want to help out, please go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and take satisfaction in knowing that you're contributing to something you love and that you're part of a larger community. Anything you can contribute would be appreciated and would help keep us flying. Thanks. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we'd be eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals. The prisoners of the occupation have been freed, but many people, both Bajoran and Cardassian, aggressor and aggrieved, are still held captive mentally and emotionally by the horrors both inflicted and received. New York Times bestselling author David George joins the show to talk about an episode of Deep Space Nine that explores the line between justice and retribution. It's duet, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. <laughs>